Happy Sunday, everybody. Chris Pleckenbull here, lead pastor at Wells Branch Community Church. Thank you for joining us online during this bizarre season of life that we're in. Now, listen, I want to make sure that uh, I get this announcement out. So this is a couple housekeeping type things. We have over $30,000 set aside in our bank account at Wells Branch Community Church to specifically give away to people in need. Now, over the past year to date, we've helped about 50 people and year to date, our, uh, our benevolence fund has increased from 15000 to 30000 So thank you for all those who give over and above because what you've done is you've made it possible for us to help people. But listen, I don't want that money sitting in a bank account. I want that money to go to zero because we're helping people. So if you know someone and if you've been helped and you know someone who might be able to receive help, would you let them know? Go to our online, wellsbranchchurch.com and fill out a benevolence application. We are here to serve our community. Now, second, uh, June 7th is the day that we're looking to meet in person again. I can't wait for that day. I can't wait to see you and give you a air high five. Uh, and what I would love for you to do is uh, be, to keep everybody safe, to keep everybody comfortable. Uh, what we're doing is we're having online registration. So go to wellsbranchchurch.com, scroll down to our registration page, and you'll figure out how to register just because we will have too many people if everyone just shows up. And so we know if we need to have extra services. So s- s- sign up for the service that you want. And then once that service fills up, we'll start another, or we'll continue to build more services onto that as long as we have people to come. All right, so that's a couple housekeeping things. Now, if you have questions, and what I mean by questions about anything specifically uh, that are specific to the sermon or something that in regard to the sermon that we're going to talk about today, would you text us? And we're going to answer those on Facebook Live at some point this week. So um, get ready for that. I, I, that has been a really engaging time. We've been really hitting some hot topics lately, dealing with faith, uh, even race. Uh, we've been dealing with all sorts of things, and I've been so grateful for um, the amount of communication we've been getting. So please don't hesitate to text in and let us know what your question is. All right, so we're in the last week of a series called What to Do When You Don't Know What to Do. And over the past several weeks, we've really been looking at uh, different aspects, different parts of crisis where uh, today we've been facing and then in the days the Bible was written that real people, just like you and me, face crisis. And so what we were looking at is like, what did they do in the midst of the crisis? And probably the one that sort of sticks out to me the most was uh, Jehoshaphat's prayer. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And what we said is like, when we trust God, God is faithful and he will rescue us. And if it's not okay, that's okay. It's not the end because in the end, it's going to be okay. And what we've been seeing here though, that there is this thing in us that we want to trust God when it seems like it's like trust God things, things that we couldn't control anyway. But sometimes when we get to our own personal worst case scenario, that's when we struggle and we want to take control of things and we resist the power of the Holy Spirit. 
In fact, um, there's a book that came out in 2019. I don't know if you guys uh, saw this book. Uh, it's called Worst Case, The Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook. And I love this book. I think it's kind of hysterical. Uh, and essentially what it does is it outlines for you what to do whenever you hit a worst case scenario in any sort of situation. If you get attacked by an alligator, you get attacked by a bear or a shark, here's what you do. Written by a, a former U.S. Navy SEAL. And he gives you expert advice for worst case scenarios. Well, in the 2019 version, he has what to do uh, when you don't know what to do in a worst case scenario in a viral outbreak. And this is what he said. First thing, get the vaccine. We don't have a vaccine. Okay. Next thing, avoid human contact. And a lot of us have been doing that. Stay inside. Don't touch anything. Wear gloves. Wear surgical masks. Get a respirator. That's like the N95 mask. Before you even knew what an N95 mask was, he had written about it in his book, which is probably why his book's selling. Maybe there's a conspiracy behind that. Just kidding. Okay. Then finally, wash your hands regularly. So we would say, got it. That's exactly what we should do. But then what happens? I've followed all these steps and I'm still in crisis. This doesn't make me feel any safer. In fact, it makes me feel more paranoid. And I think that's partly because we resist the Holy Spirit. And here's what I mean by that. Um, when faced with a worst case scenario, we resist the Holy Spirit primarily because we are afraid of losing control. And in fact, if you were to watch social media, or if you were to watch the news, there's two narratives being played out. If you're conservative, and I have a lot of my conservative friends, they'll, they'll send me videos on Facebook, and they'll send me emails, and they'll send me text messages, kind of to kind of, here's the conservative platform, and it basically goes along this line, that uh, no jobs, because if you aren't allowed to go and work, it's going to equal poverty, and that's going to kill you. Okay, and that's sort of the narrative. On the flip side, I've got liberal friends. My liberal friends, God love them, they're sending me uh, Facebook videos and they're sending me messages in textbook, or textbook, text messages, and they're saying, hey, listen, and this is exactly from Oregon's, I think, state message. Uh, they're saying, uh, don't actually kill somebody. Stay home and stay, stay alive. Now, you've got two competing narratives and people are very passionate about this. And if, what they would say is, if you don't follow the narrative, then you are not following what I would want you to do, and therefore I feel out of control. In fact, if anybody were to meet somebody sort of the opposite viewpoint, they'd sort of freak out, and there'd be some really passionate discussion. And isn't it true that's probably because we resist the Holy Spirit because, well, we don't want to die. We're afraid of losing our life. And we would say, listen, I, I, if you don't, if I, if I can't work, I, I'll go poor and eventually run out of money. I'll run out of food and I'm going to starve to death. Or if, if we let people go to work, they're going to kill me through a transference of disease. Either way, we're all going to die. And the funny thing is, isn't it true that everybody has got a death sentence called life has a span? I mean, nobody watching this video right now is going to live on this planet for forever. You, like that's not like shocking news, right? And so at some point, you've got to have a plan for when death comes, and it can't be preventing death, or just maybe give me one more year, and then I'll worry about it then. Okay, and then finally, we resist the Holy Spirit when faced with worst-case scenarios because we're afraid of losing our purpose. And this is why we get so passionate about political things, because that gives us purpose in crisis. In fact, you do a lot better in crisis when you have a purpose. And that's why a lot of people create crisis all the time so they can have a purpose to go and fight. 
And so my heart for us and for our country and for our lives is that we wouldn't get lost in uh, political banter, but, but get back to what is truly, truly important. That's our relationship with God. I'm not saying don't be a part of politics. I'm not saying don't vote. I'm saying go vote, be a part of it. But if that becomes your hope, then there's something missing, something far greater that I think God has for you. So this morning, um, I want us to uh, be talking about what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And um, specifically in the worst case scenario. So we're going to be in, our, in God's Word, in our Bibles. Acts chapter 6 uh, is where we're going to start. And so if you're new to God's Word, you, there's a New Testament, there's a break. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then the book of Acts. And we're going to be at Acts chapter 6. And what we're going to do is we're going to first pray. I'm going to give you a little introduction to where we are in Acts 6. And then we're going to really explore this scripture. Would you guys pray with me? God, thank you for your word. And I pray that we would open up our hearts, open up our minds to receive from you that which you have brought to us. Thank you, Jesus. Calm our hearts. Help us to focus on you and be influenced fully by the indwelling, the Holy Spirit that lives inside our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. It's all for your glory. Amen. All right. So Acts 6 starts off with Stephen. Well, not just Stephen. It's, there's, there's this drama going on in the church. You've got uh, Grecian Jews, and then you've got the Hebraic Jews. And there was a little bit of a confrontation, a little bit of drama, because uh, the, the widows weren't being taken care of equally. And so the apostles gather all the, everybody together, like, listen, we've got we to gotta focus on the ministry of prayer. We got The prayer ministry is pretty serious. And we've got to focus on the ministry of the word. We've got to proclaim the gospel, and we can't be worried about um, the drama that's going on of serving tables. And so they appointed seven dudes. And one of these guys was Stephen. He was full of the Holy Spirit and loved God. And so he was taken into the role to go and make sure that the distribution of food among widows was fair. Now, you know what I love about that? Because um, maybe you've been to a church uh, that has drama, and maybe you've been to our church and it has drama. In fact, what I would tell you, what I tell you is that if the early church in Acts chapter 6 had drama, and people think that's not fair, and tr- uh, complaining and telling the apostles, the apostles, you guys got to fix this. If you had drama in the early church, Good news, you're going to have drama in the church today because we're dealing with sinful people who are broken. In fact, I would say to you, if you don't have drama at your church, you don't know your church well enough because you're not that involved, or, watch this, you're in a cult. Okay, keep going. That's for free. All right, so now watch what happens. We're going to open up Acts chapter 6, and they've just sort of settled this issue, and now the gospel is about to go forward, all right? Acts 6, verse 8, Acts 6, verse 8, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests, big deal, great many of the priests. Why is this a big deal? Because they were serving in the temple. These guys were like bastions of holiness, and they were hearing from God, and the common person would look at the priests, and when they sort of defected from temple worship to this Christian thing, it was sort of a big deal. And they became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing wonders and signs. We're talking miracles. He's healing people. He's he's calling the Holy Spirit, do a work in this person's life, and they would get healed of disease. The demons would flee. 
And there were signs among these people. Okay, then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as so it was called. We don't really know exactly what the synagogue of the freedmen was, but we know it had, it had far-reaching influence among Jews all over the world. In fact, we know this because there were the, the synagogue of the freedmen uh, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians. Real quick, Cyrenians and Alexandrians. Uh, if you know where Cyrene is, it's like Libya-ish. And you've got Alexandria, that's Egypt. So North Africa, okay? And then... They were, uh, and those from Cilicia and Asia, that would be in like modern day Turkey. So on the north side of the Mediterranean Sea, on the south side of the Mediterranean Sea, and they're meeting in Jerusalem. And so therefore they all converge. The whole Jewish nation, the whole Jewish world is coming together saying, we've got a problem with these Christians. And they rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Okay, so once they couldn't out-debate him, then they secretly instigated men who said, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. Now, did Stephen ever speak blasphemous words against Moses and God? No, that's why they secretly instigated it, and they created a false, a fake news, alternate facts narrative. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses, people who would lie, and who said, this man never ceases to speak against this holy place, the temple and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. To keep control, Religious leaders chose to lie over trusting God. Now, I know we live in a modern age and leadership would never make up a false narrative, try to get a bunch of people behind it, kind of create you know, fake news and alternate, alternative facts and sort of bring them up and, and kind of have this thing be um, like taken as truth. I know in our day and age that would never happen unless nothing has changed. And that does happen because people are still people who are broken and in darkness. Um, listen, here's, here's what I want you to see. Um, one of the things that, that was going on here, remember the, the big thing that uh, Stephen was sort of arguing against was uh, they said that, he, that Jesus said he was going to destroy the temple. Remember, remember what Jesus said? He's like, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. And he was talking about his own body. And then also um, when it comes to the law, Nobody could obtain the law, and that's why Jesus had to do it for him. So that was his whole point. But when you don't want to hear what the person is speaking, you sort of change the narrative to try and control the narrative. Now, this isn't just a political thing, right? This isn't just politics. Uh, I, listen, I am a pastor, and so I do marriage counseling. And over the past eight years of my doing marriage counseling here as a pastor at Wells Branch Community Church, I have dealt with a lot of couples. And I've gone, listen, I've gone to worst case scenario when a spouse has cheated. All right, and I'm just going to use one of the stories that comes to mind from several, several years ago. Uh, a woman had cheated, okay? And, uh, and this could be any woman, it could be any man, so don't think I'm telling your story. This is just such a common thing. A woman had, had cheated, and so all of a sudden what had happened is uh, the, it had come, come to light, the husband found out, and so what happened, you've got... Uh, 
a woman who's cheated. She wants the marriage to work. She really loves her husband. And then you got the husband who's been really hurt and he's really wounded by this. And he's like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I got to put in measures. I got to put in controls. That's why I've had people ask me, call me up and say, what can I do when my wife goes on this business trip to ensure she doesn't cheat? And I, I remember telling this guy, listen, what you do is you put her in her closet, you put a bunch of locks on it. You don't let her out until the business trip is over. Because that's the only way you can control it. Because when someone's out of your sight, there's nothing you can do to control. You've got at some point trust God. Okay, so here's what would happen. Here's what happens all the time. So a woman doesn't want to, to lie or cheat, but there's stuff that's in her life that's still broken. And so what she knows, whenever she's kind of crossed a line, like emotionally with another guy or physically with another guy, and it may not even be cheating, but she doesn't want that to come out, so she creates a lie. Who'd you go to lunch with? Oh, just a bunch, a bunch of coworkers. When really that bunch of coworkers was one guy who has an interest in her or is really emotionally friendly. And then uh, over time, the husband can tell because he's not an idiot that she's lying. And then the truth would come out and he would erupt volcanically. And there might even be some really abusive words or abusive actions. And so all of a sudden we got this vicious cycle because now the woman is afraid. She wants her marriage to work. She will do anything to keep it to work, but she's got to lie to make it work because she's got to control it. And then all of a sudden that lie gets exposed again. The husband erupts again because he's got to control it. He's got to keep her in line. You don't you understand what you've done to me? Don't you understand? And it's a vicious cycle. And I always tell, tell couples like this, at some point, somebody's got to be the grown-up in the room. Somebody's got to be the adult in the relationship. And somebody's got to say, listen, I'm going to walk you through this darkness. And they would say, no, no, I can't because they are that bad. Don't you understand what they have done to me? Whether it was the husband or the wife, they both would say the same thing. I said, exactly, they are that bad. But what you're saying is, God is not that good. Whenever you say, you say, like, Chris, if, if I can't control them, I can't trust God to. Listen, I know God's got the world on its axis, and we're just close enough to the sun that we don't fry, yet far enough away that we don't freeze. You know, like all that, all that reality that God has sort of placed in planets and orbits, and he has set up governments and systems, and he's got water for the whole world, and at least access to it for the most part. And sure, there are people that are starving, but man, there's a way to feed them if we just got together. Listen, listen the reality is there is a plan, and there's a God who's big enough to solve worldwide problems, and he's big enough to solve your marriage but it's going to take you thinking you believing God is that good and relying and looking for the Holy Spirit to move in you as it's going to move in your spouse now listen this isn't just about marriage this is about your job you've got a boss he's an idiot and over and over he derides you he's He's argumentative. He brings up stuff that you didn't do, but you did. He plays. He takes credit for stuff that you did. And all of a sudden you're like, this is not fair. And like, there's this anger that sort of comes up in you and you sort of want to expose him. And so you're driven by anger and rage and not influenced by the Holy Spirit because you're going to say, listen, Chris, Chris, I, I, listen, I'm a Christian on Sunday, but listen, throughout the business week, I got to take care of me. No one else is. Or in school. I got to get that grade because I got to get in. If I don't, I can't. And that becomes your language. And what I say, listen, listen, listen. God wants you to trust the Holy Spirit. He is that good and he does intervene. That's why he's called Emmanuel, God with us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? All right, all right, watch this. So then what happens in uh, this story 
back to uh, Stephen for a second. Uh, is Stephen goes on a sermon rant. And I'm, we're, we're talking about long sermon. You think I preach a long time? All right, Stephen, this is the longest sermon, longest speech in uh, the book of Acts. And I think it's only second to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount uh, of, in length. And so he goes into great length explaining how he isn't trying to destroy the temple, but rather the temple is now human bodies, which God is called to occupy. But in history past, Abraham, uh, Joseph, remember Joseph, we, we talked about him in, in January, Code of Many Colors, Joseph. He didn't have a temple. Abraham didn't have a temple. Uh, how about Moses? Moses didn't have a temple. And then all of a sudden you come to David. David didn't have a temple. And in fact, when Solomon comes into power, he builds the temple. When he dedicates this, he says, I am not that naive to think I'm building a house for you because like, it could contain you. Because no earthly structure can contain you. But this is representative for what you want to do is live among your people. And then ultimately what Jesus does is when he dies on the cross, the Holy of Holies is exposed. The, 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 the veil that separated God from man is torn in two and we have access because, because the temple now becomes me and it now becomes you. And that's sort of what he's trying to explain. And then he's going to get into the law and watch this, what he says about the law. Verse, chapter 7, verse 51. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. In other words, circumcision was a physical, bodily thing, okay? And what he's saying is like, you are, might be circumcised physically, but you're uncircumcised in your heart and in your ears because you can't hear what I'm saying. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, remember they resisted uh, Moses, and Moses would say, you stiff-necked people, why don't you shift? He's saying, you guys are the same thing. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one. Here Jesus is not just seen as the Messiah, but the righteous one, the one who perfectly fulfilled the law. Watch. Whom you have now betrayed and murdered, who... You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. In other words, what he's saying is, it is impossible for you to obey the 613 laws. In fact, you can't be perfect. The law is not, I don't want to do away with it. It's just impossible. And thankfully, Jesus fulfilled the law for us. And when he died on the cross, his righteousness was imputed, stamped on us as we became temples of the Holy Spirit. And our sin was imputed to Jesus. And he took on our sin and experienced hell for us. Okay? Now, when they heard these things, right, so they're hearing what Stephen's saying. They hear his incredibly long speech, and they were tuned in, and they heard it all, and all of a sudden they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. They're like, Argh! But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. He didn't start looking at the problem right in front of him. He looked up to heaven, and he said, and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And then he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. In other words, you who think you have access to God, you don't. But me, I do, and I can see him so clearly. I have a relationship. I have something more powerful than you could ever want, ever hope for, and I have it. And then they cry out with a loud voice and they stop up their ears and they rush together at him. And when they cast him out of the city, they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Important. I want you to hold on to Saul for a sec. He's going to come into play a little bit. And as they were stoning Stephen, 
He called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Eyes locked on to Jesus, even as the stones were pelting him. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Remember, he did call them stiff-necked people, but that was out of love. He wanted them to open their eyes using language that Moses used back in the Old Testament. But he loves them. He's saying, Lord, don't hold this against them. They don't know. They don't have ears to hear. They don't have eyes to see. Please, God, give it to them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. When filled with the Holy Spirit, Stephen responded in love, even when attacked. No, I want you to think about that. He responded in love, even when death was coming, even when the rocks were coming. He was, he was experiencing joy looking at Jesus. And I don't know if you guys know this, um, we've lost two people since this whole crisis has um, started. None of them died due to coronavirus, ironically. Um, but one was Sheila Rucker. Sheila Rucker passed away in March and uh, heartbreaking Cancer got her at around um, February 13th. She found out that she had only a few weeks to live because cancer was attacking her body. And uh, I've been trying to get a hold of her for a while, and I, I messaged her because I knew that, that she was undergoing treatment. She didn't want to talk to anybody for a while. She was figuring out hospice and stuff. And so I, I reached out via text. And this, I, that, you know, this is kind of interesting, kind of a, like talking to somebody from the dead, so to speak. Watch. I just said, hey, Sheila, just wanted you to know I'm praying for you. Praying for you to experience the Lord's joy. And I would love to call sometime and pray with you. And she's like, thank you, thank you. Things are busy in the morning as hospice is, is here taking care of me now. I will let you know, all right? Then um, we had a, a text conversation for a while. And then she says this. I'll never forget this. It was like one of those moments where I just was like, she gets this. She's like, I'm asking people not to pray for my healing. To which you're like, what would you pray for then? But a quick home going for me and peace, wisdom, and comfort for my family. Thank you for understanding and your prayers. Just diagnosed February 13th, so a family having a hard time with how quickly it's moving. Not me so much. The Lord has been preparing me. And then I want you to see this. Jesus is so loving to me. And then she gives me Psalm 100. And if you're not familiar with Psalm 100 is, it says this. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know the Lord. He is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. God, Give thanks to God to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Do, do you hear that? I'm going home. I'm entering into his court with thanksgiving. That was her prayer. That was on her lips, and we texted and pretty much until the day she died, and the, the last text she sent me was she was saying, listen, I was able to get a Bible study started in my own uh, sort of retirement uh, assisted living facility. I'm so grateful that God has done a work there. Last text. And I said, thank God. And she just put a big smiley face. And I said, I promise one day when the time is right, I'm going to tell your story to our church. She said, please do. I want them to know about the Jesus that I serve. And I'm going to go see him. You have to ask the question, is this thing of church real? 
I mean, what are we doing here? Is this my Jesus, my imaginary friend? Or is this Jesus, the Savior, ruler of the world, the one who spoke the world into existence, the one who still controls all things, in charge of all governments, all sickness, all everything? Is he really in charge, or are we just being a sweet social club? My heart is that you would see that this is how you overcome death, that you are a soul with a body, not a body with a soul. And your answer isn't a better, worst case scenario, 2020 book, but rather the Holy Spirit coming to your life and taking control. This is what I mean by that. Remember, if Jesus is real, And if Jesus really came from heaven to earth to take the penalty of your sin, to make a way for you to to have access to God, that means you can experience him now. And that that, that this, watch, watch. That God uses crisis for you to have a relationship with him because everybody comes to Christ in a crisis. That's why I tell people all the time, make a lot of friends, wait for their crisis. It's coming. Everybody's an experienced crisis. And right now, everybody's experiencing crisis. Listen, do you know me? It's so crazy. I've had six people make decisions for Christ since this coronavirus thing has, has stepped off. Six. And I haven't even left my house. And so what I want you to see is that this is the perfect time to make a decision for Jesus. Because what else do you have to lose? All you have is a lot to gain. Now, I want you to see this this first verse of chapter 8, because chapter 7 ends with um, Stephen dying. And then chapter 8, watch this. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So everybody that was involved in the ministry, anyone who claimed the name of Christ, they run because they're about to die. And do you remember what happened in Acts 1.8? Do you guys remember this? Do you remember this? Jesus, with the disciples in the upper room, goes, hey, guess what? Um, Wait here in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power, and you will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. In fact, watch what happened. God had a purpose for Stephen's worst case scenario. It would be the catalyst which spread the gospel all over the place. Now, how come Stephen's speech is the longest one? Do you think the, uh, the people who killed him wrote it down so that we could have a record of what his speech was so that we could later, you know, refute it? No. You know who was there that heard that speech? Saul. Saul, in fact, is mentioned three times throughout this. Once in chapter 6, remember Cilicia in Asia? Tarsus is in the little province of Cilicia in Asia. And so he came from them, and he was the guy that started instigating this whole thing. Why? How do we know that? Because they dropped their clothes at his feet. They, are, we getting, are we doing the right thing, Saul? Are we doing the right thing? You're the smart guy. You're the one that got us all. We'll put our clothes here. I'm going to pr- make sure you see that I'm participating in this stoning. And he's sitting there going, yeah, that's what up. Now, here's what I think happened. When he's confronted by Jesus on his road to Damascus, go and destroy Christianity, and Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That speech that's, that Stephen gave just kind of came back into his heart, and he made sure that Luke knew exactly the entire thing and wrote it down. And then Saul, who would later become Paul, would spread the church around the globe because of what he saw in Stephen and what he saw when Jesus met him. And that speech had to have been on his heart. And that's why he was so motivated about us being the temple of the Holy Spirit and us not being able to do anything with the law. It's not by works 
done by us in righteousness that we are saved, but that Jesus has already done it. This is why the, the Christian religion isn't due, it's done, and Jesus did it. All you have to do is receive it. So listen, that church spread, and it spread and spread till it came here to Austin, Texas. And here we are, recipients of it, and it's still our, our role to have it keep going. And so right now, probably the, the greatest portal to the world is your social media. And there's a lot of narratives being put out on social media right now. But the narrative that I'm hoping that would spread, if you would even simply just share this sermon, just share it, share it here, then all of a sudden the narrative switches from a, a political rant to hope. It, it switches from like, I got to get this off my chest because I see all these people doing stupid things to saying, I get it, people are dumb, but my God is that good that he can even speak to hard-hearted people and get through to them because he's that powerful. And so this morning, where will you turn in your worst case scenario? If you're not a Christian here this morning, my hope is that you would turn from your own way your own ability to fix yourself, solve yourself. You've been white-knuckling the marriage, white-knuckling the job search, white-knuckling um, politics. And if they would just do what you think they should do, then we'd finally be okay. And you know that that's not true. You know that one day you're going to be like Sheila, looking down the barrel of death. And will you have joy in that moment, excited to enter the courts, his courts with thanksgiving and praise, or are you going to be terrified because you don't know what's on the other side of that? When you're dead, it's just over, and your purpose is gone. And so I'm wondering if in this worst-case scenario, you'd realize that the whole world is watching you and that how you handle it. And by my whole world, I mean your children. They're watching you. They're watching you in the fight, and they're learning how Christians respond. And they're going to hate church one day, or they're going to love it. And they're going to say, my daddy was angry. My daddy was angry and he was frustrated. And my mommy, she lied. And they're going to be 50, 60 years old, still going back, telling the stories about how angry and hurtful their dad was. And they're going to go back and they're 50, 60 years old. They're going to talk about how messed up their mom was. And I hope to God that we could live out the gospel. And I'm, listen, I know God's sovereign. And he can use broken people to reveal the brokenness of people and people can see that God is that good and they might look for alternative truth because that is real, that's beyond the narrative that's been preached. But why don't you be a part of God's plan of spreading the gospel around the world even in your worst case? Because when you respond in love, when the rest of the world responds in hate, when you respond with assurance that you don't have to do it, you don't have to be in control, you can just respond to love and grace. Kids pick up on that. Co-workers pick up on that. Classmates pick up on that. The world picks up on that. Will you pray with me? God, thank you that you would do even more than we could ever hope for or ask. That you, God, would be in complete control. And through the struggle, God, I pray that somebody for the first time in their crisis would say, Jesus, would you save me? They would turn from sin and darkness and just say, God, I'm a sinner. Save me. I believe you, Jesus, died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose to the dead. Holy Spirit, come into my life and make me the person you want me to be. And God, I pray for those that are they're Christian. They claim the name of Christ, but their actions on social media, their actions in their house, their actions at work, their actions all over the place have just reflected a need to control and white knuckle and being terrified all the time. Living like the rest of the world that has no hope. So Lord, 
I pray that there would be this sense of repentance and they would come into uh, our prayer room that's in the chat box, God, and they would just confess that and they'd just be real about I'm struggling because I'm having a hard time believing. God, I'm praying that we would have a whole bunch of people fill out our prayer at wellsbranchchurch.com email and just say, God, I need help. And our elders and our staff and our people would pray and we watch you work, Jesus. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. During this time, I want us to take communion. And I want us to sit back and sort of reflect on any of the darkness that we need to repent of. Any of the things that, that's caused up friction in our lives. And so we're going to take a minute, about literally 60 seconds. And I'm going to give you pause. We're going to put a black screen up. And I just want you to take time. Is there anything that you need to take before the Lord? And pray. So let's do that now. Take your sins before the Lord. Confess them. And let's get real with God for just a second.